Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now... And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach on assignment. That assignment is to rest up and heal up, brother. We'll handle it and uh, check in with you. We are a week away from a roadshow Saturday as we'll be at Woodland Hills for Tea Off for Treasures, Tyson's Treasure Chest, of course, a uh, charity and a fundraiser near and dear to our dear friend Jeremiah Searle's heart. So uh, excited to be on the road next uh, Saturday at Woodland Hills for Tea Off for Treasures. Uh, that'll be exciting. Uh, the task at hand, dive in to some football topics. Elijah, 49 days away. 49, the old uh, Trevor Roach number. Seven squared. Sure, you and your math. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, we're getting closer, inching closer to college football in Nebraska, that week zero showdown with the Fighting Illini. Uh, Coming up, uh, plenty of football to to dive into with Brad Edwards, our Rewind segment. Brad, uh, quarter century with ESPN, uh, college football, FPI, and, of course, uh, his work with ESPN Radio. We'll uh, get some of Brad's takes as uh, we get closer to the season. Uh, an hour from now, Brandon Vogel from HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Uh, managing editor Vogues will be with us at 8.05. And then the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, will join us. Check in with Sharpie. Get uh, where his gut's feeling. Some of the Nebraska names or Nebraska recruits could go with, to, with tomorrow's uh, Major League Baseball draft, as that will go into Monday. Numbers to dive in, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. can email chris at hailvarsity.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio Chris Schmidt or at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. So, interesting morning. One... Uh, I, I did not get up early enough to see Junior and Papa Al pack up and leave. They went through TSA probably about 40 minutes ago out of Omaha. They are flying to Houston so Junior can watch his beloved Yankees in in the 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 uh, the, the trash can den, right? <laughs> so that's where Junior's going to be. Uh, he'll be back Monday. Got a chance to shout to him on the way in, and uh, he's his uh, normal jovial self uh, pre-7 a.m. Yeah. Or or pre-noon. We'll just put it that way. Hello? Yes. I mean, just so. uh, Have a good trip, Junior. 
Uh, two, I was expecting, I caught up with a buddy last night and uh, got home probably about you know, 1030. It wasn't late. But I usually try and, and eat within a certain window, you know, and, and I had pizza late and it was awesome. And my old bones can't do pizza late. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just getting soft, brother, in my old age. But as I checked the radar, because again, uh, I'm turning into an old man, you know, what's the weather going to do? Uh, bro, it got serious and ugly in Omaha. We're talking thousands without power. Uh, at least that's what I saw on Twitter. I didn't see a single branch or leaf in the, in, in the yard. Were you good? Oh, it was crazy at my house. Okay, and, I, and you're a little bit east of town. Oh, uh, I'm I'm in the northeast corner of town. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of Havelockish. Yeah, and I saw. I mean, I mean, I heard it kind of come through around one a.m., but that's it. I mean, I, I nothing flew through the window, and there's no uh, uh, there's no noticeable. Oh, there's there's a missing part to my vinyl fence. The, the dogs will have fun with this. I didn't. At least our area, we're southeast of town. I'm total opposite. With you know, I'm closer to Kansas, and, and you're closer to Omaha to the interstate. Yeah. You know, uh, for I mean, for me, I had a couple branches down in the yard, big branches, because um, you probably have older, mature trees. We'll get the football in a minute. I promise. I'm just assessing the damage here. Decent sized uh, branches down the yard lost power for a few hours. Did you? Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw some transformers blowing uh, as I was looking at the. I mean, because lightning's not green, is it? I no, just, no, no, no. I mean, lightning's. Lightning. Yeah, I saw some some weird colored lightning in the skies, and then my power went out. So I'm not sure if that was a transformer or what, but uh, that came back in the middle of the night at some point after I had gone to bed. Um, but crazy. I mean, there's a whole bunch of branches down just in my yard, uh, or sorry, in my on my whole block. Okay, uh, looking down the block was it hard to get morning. through. Was no, it, was, it, it was, was it was a lot in the yards. Okay, um, but it was just it was powerful. My brother's um Traeger grill got pushed across he didn't lock the wheels and it got pushed all around his uh his patio and then his neighbor's brand new fence got blown down dang i will shut my mouth about the, the northeast side of town was, was legit. well that sucks i hope your your home if you're listening out there in that part of lincoln is is all good man i'm sorry to hear all that but yeah i i kind of judge it based on you know did my grill move did my Traeger uh, or, or slash pit boss move. It, it has only two wheels where you pick up on one side. Yeah, his too, and it it ended up on the other side of the yard. Man, that's messed up. So uh, let's dive in. Really good stuff from the athletic. They always do their state of the program series, and uh, one of the features of their their preseason preview is expectations versus reality, and and that is. Something that Nebraska fans are staring at for 2021. They've stared at it for 2020. They've stared at it really probably since that that last championship run in 01 as you transitioned away from the Osborne Osborne era and you've had this this constant change in either the AD chair or, or the coaching chair in a lot of instances both. So expectations versus reality. We'll get into that a little bit with Brandon Vogel and Gary Sharp, but uh, we'll sound off here first for a little bit. And and what Max Olson did, I don't know Max, but I know Max's work. And uh, we talk uh, with Mitch Sherman quite a bit. They're close. Uh, Max does a great job, first and foremost. But when we talk about expectations versus reality, and what they're doing here is comparing a team's four-year performance 
with their recruiting class ratings. You can kind of feel where this is going because Nebraska was really good about doing well in the offseason, even during the Riley era with the Friday Night Lights camp. That's one thing that was one of a of, of few things kept and, and used as a holdover when, when Coach Frost got here, keeping that going. I mean, it was... It was a, a, a can-do attitude with, with recruiting. And, and Nebraska went after a lot of big fish during the Riley era, but didn't land that many. And, and the kids they did get, I mean, you look at, you look, and Spielman's no longer here, but when he was here, performed well. JoJo Doman uh, is a phenomenal player. He's a, a nice get during the Riley era. And you have two offensive linemen, Hymas and Farniok, that that were – recruits from the Riley era. Uh, you look at all the NFL guys, either free agent guys or guys that were drafted that, that Bo produced. He did a really nice job of kind of honing in on some guys they felt really comfortable about being able to get, then develop and raise to a level, be it uh, Nate Gary, Emily Collins, uh, Vincent Valentine, Randy Gregory, uh, Amir Abdullah, Kenny Bell, Anunwa, uh, Brandon Riley, uh uh, you know, uh, Janovich. I mean, just go down the list of, and then the offensive linemen with uh, with Spencer Long and Searles and and Qualley. I mean, and and then Stirrup as well. I mean, there, so you can you can name off like there's not a wrong philosophy as long as you 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 make it happen on the trail to campus campus development to. What are you doing on Saturdays? And then what's your shot post-Saturday with uh, with professional ball? Uh, I look at what Frost has done. And routinely, as, as the athletic kind of details that recruiting ranking, uh, okay, what, what are you coming in here? What's that rating? And that rating's not necessarily always accurate. Uh, and then it's twofold. Uh, that, that rating can be absolutely accurate. What have you done to develop or, or use that talent. And when it comes to overachievers, teams that end up ranked uh, versus their 24-7 composite ranking. And this isn't a shocker. And, and one thing uh, you get with a, a lot of MAC coaches who do make the jump from the MAC to a Power Five, and, you know, Matt Campbell and P.J. Fleck are two examples. They are guys that find kind of those diamonds in the rough and they develop really well because they have to and they they kill it. They do well. And Matt Campbell and Iowa State, they come in number one as the number one overachieving program in Power Five. They finish ranked uh, 19th here if you kind of average out four years. But their recruiting average is just in front of the 60th ranked recruiting class. And that that's that's a, a plus 38. Where do you end up in the rankings compared to uh, your recruiting rankings? <laughs> and and to be plus 38 is insane, as you'd expect. Iowa right there. Uh, Coach Ferentz, uh, those guys don't do a, a wonderful job when it comes to winning signing day. But uh, proof is in there. NFL talent level. I mean, they look at the tight ends they put in the NFL. Look at the offensive line. They're good with defensive line. They're really solid with lines of scrimmage. Wisconsin right there in at three. Uh, now, their rankings have been right around that top ten, but their recruiting class 
averages out to being just uh, around number 40. I mean, it's a banner year in Madison if they have like a top 30 class, which they can do, but they're more comfortable getting who they feel fits and their development's really solid. I mean, their linebacking core, specifically outside linebackers, has has been incredible. And they win that every Saturday against teams within their own region. They've beaten Nebraska. They've beaten Iowa. Uh, they've beaten Minnesota out for those outside linebackers. And it doesn't hurt to have an ambassador like a J.J. Watt, former Mac guy, transferred to Wisconsin. And that's your poster child of Wisconsin uh, you know, hybrid defensive lineman. Boston College is there, and then there's Northwestern. Uh, you have four Big Ten teams that, that uh, on paper, with the 24-7 composite recruiting, don't do much to sneeze at when it comes to their recruiting ranking. Iowa, 44. Wisconsin, 40. Northwestern, 52. Indiana, 53. And, and they... Uh, come in, Indiana comes in, you know, routinely here under the Tom Allen era, a top 40 program. Northwestern, obviously a top 30 program. They're a top 25 good school. It feels like year in, year out, barring, you know, a slippage back to three and nine. And then there's Iowa and Wisconsin, who a down year for them is that, uh, well, they're going to be eight and five or 10 and two, right? There's there's no real gray area. But this this speaks to some proof. Kansas State and Oklahoma State are there, Wake Forest and Utah as well. But th- this list we just rattled off of most overachieving programs per their recruiting ranking just kind of goes to an identity. Don't you think, Elijah? These teams know what they are. They know who they can get. They're super comfortable and confident with their coaching staff, and they're usually pretty solid on, on, the, on the lines of scrimmage, or they have a niche. Oklahoma State's niche, for instance, has been A, their offense, but B, their skill position. They're always putting some sort of dude, either as a running back or wide receiver, uh, even back to the Des Bryant era, into the NFL with a high pick or, wow, if he pops in the league, if he can handle his business off the field, uh, he can be something special. Now, those are the teams, and a lot of Midwest flavor right there, aside from, from Wake Forest and Boston College. Uh, when it comes to underachieving, teams that kill it on the recruiting signing day, but not necessarily when it comes to wins and losses, and you, you've seen a program like this struggle. They are in a talent-rich area. And, and Arkansas leads the list of teams that, that underachieve from the Power Five. They, they, they aren't even a top 100 program. They've had a lot of coaching turnover. But yet their recruiting classes come in at number 30 uh, in the country uh, over the last four years. They are minus 73. When you look at where they rank on game day or after game day versus where they rank on signing day. Rutgers in it too. I think that'll get flipped around in short order because Shiano has won there before and he'll clean up the, the Eastern seaboard. Florida State is in at three. They are not, they, they are the biggest shocker to me on this list because uh, we're not, what, what are we, eight years? Eight years removed from a national championship with Jameis? Does that just blow you away in, 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 in two 
four-year recruiting cycles, Florida State is now a team that barely registers as a top 60 program when you look at the, 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 the finish. But yet on signing day, Jimbo Fisher had them in the top five, top three. He was killing it in recruiting and then said, eh, you know, I'm out. <laughs> and think about that. He chose to go from it's really Florida State or Clemson in the ACC because Miami had been down so long. He went, and there's 10 million reasons why, to go, let's, let's go hook up with LSU and Bama and Ole Miss and the Pirate uh, in the SEC West and, and maybe get a crossover with Florida or Tennessee or Georgia, right? He chose to go to the SEC. He got paid to go to the SEC. But Florida State comes in here at number three. See, Florida State, may, I would think one. Like, that's the, the number one school I think of in terms of underachieving. It's them and I mean, Tennessee. Tennessee, I feel like underachieves. I don't know if they're on the list or not. Oh, yeah. Tennessee comes in at eight, just in just behind Nebraska. UCLA, I totally agree oh, yeah. with. yeah. Because during the Jim Mora era, they put they still put a lot of guys into the NFL, but they're always eight and four. They're always eight and four, and they're playing in some non-prestigious Pac-12 tie-in bowl game. They're not even in the freaking Holiday Bowl, right? <laughs> they're in the Foster Farms Bowl. Uh, you know, a, a, like a third-tier bowl game. Maryland's right there. Maryland's recruited well. A lot of that's Durkin. And then the aftermath of him, he recruited at a high level, being a guy that, that coached for Harbaugh and Urban Meyer. But the, the crux of this is Nebraska. Nebraska comes in uh, per, per the, the, the program ranking at number 76. And Nebraska, uh, the last four years, has averaged a recruiting class of 25th in the country. That's minus 51. Just behind Illinois. Illinois recruited. <laughs> Illinois recruited at a, at a 55th best level, but yet they're 108th. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and and they're the they're the they're the fear factor week one. What Illinois team are you going to get? What Nebraska team are you going to get? But with Nebraska. It's hard for me to see this number and, and say, is Nebraska underachieved? I, I don't disagree with that. Yes, I think they've underachieved. I think they underachieved in, in, in 2015. They were a 9 or 10 win football program uh, with all that came back, but you had the coaching transition and they went 6 and 7. Uh, I think they underachieved in 2017. Uh, at a four and eight level, uh, coming off a nine and four football season, okay, uh, and I think they they absolutely underachieved in 2019. I'm not alone with that. I think it was hard to tell what 2018 was going to be, but based on their momentum, I think they did a hell of a job to finish the season as strong as they did. You go into 2019 and you had a bunch of kids that were in position that they'd never been in, and that's that target because of expectations, how they finished the year. They're a top 25 program. And, uh, and Nebraska had some, some tough ball games. Nebraska's been right there in moments. We just highlighted Iowa. We just highlighted Wisconsin. We just highlighted Northwestern. You've beaten Northwestern. You've been close to Iowa the last three years where it, it was a, a tight enough ball game where you could have flipped it. You make a play during a series. You get better at special teams. You get a little better uh, at, at, at stopping a drive and keeping the, the kiss-blowing field goal kicker out of range. And, and maybe you, you get one. Duncan. Okay, right? And then with Wisconsin, that, those – 
those scores have been double digits or, you know, but it, but it, it wasn't Melvin Gordon bad. All right. So th- that gap has closed a little bit. On this list, you can absolutely nod your head and say, you know what, Nebraska's been a team that's, that's underachieved. We got to get to the why. Why? And I think the, the biggest part of me with why Nebraska's underachieved is you just haven't kept your kids. You've had so much attrition, so much roster turnover, some of that by design, which is fine, but you just don't know. Uh, that You can tell me Nebraska's had a top 25 recruiting class, but I can tell you uh, a lot of those top 25 recruits are no longer here. So th- that, that's a little bit of a misnomer to me. 21 here and now, what do you get? I mean, Nebraska had a good recruiting class. Uh, you have some of those key pieces from 2019 gone. But you also have some key pieces from 2020 here. And I'm thinking of, of a guy, uh, you know, like a Turner Corcoran that is going to be uh, leaned on on that left side of the offensive line. Uh, you look at Gabe Irvin, uh, a guy that uh, is really new to the program but uh, may have to carry the football a lot. And, and, and you're also looking at, at some guys like uh, Casey Rogers and, and Trevor Robinson, newer recruits, part of that four-year top 25 average that you feel pretty good about and you think can pop. So Nebraska's underachieved for sure on the field. I don't know that the top 25 ranking recruiting-wise is 1,000% accurate because of the attrition. We'll hear from Brad Edwards coming up. It's a weekend edition, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk some college football, some NIL, some uh, FPI. We welcome in college football insider and author, Dynasty by the Numbers, uh, Bama's uh, greatest run, the uh, best decade in college football. Brad, I, I'm sure I just screwed that up. Correct me, my friend, <laughs> at Edwards on Twitter. But uh, your book is going to be a lot of fun for college football fans, Dynasty by the Numbers. How are you? It's July, my friend. It is It is July, so we're, we're getting close. And actually, what, about two weeks, less than two weeks away from uh, at least SEC media days. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're usually the first one to go off and then uh, other conferences to follow. So, yeah, I would, uh, I would say that we're, uh, we're getting to that time where, where people start to more seriously focus on college football and get excited for the season. I think maybe some fan bases are more uh, apprehensive than excited, but um, <laughs> at least right now everybody's undefeated. You uh, you pretty much painted the picture here. What's the uh, the, uh, the the level of, of trepidation for for Nebraska fans? We'll, we'll get into some Husker topics and. You mentioned Big Ten media days uh, or just media days in general. I, I have not had the pleasure of SEC media days, but I hear they're a party down in Hoover, uh, typically. Uh, Indianapolis is the site for this year's Big Ten media day extravaganza. We'll be there on site doing shows, which will be cool. But I got to ask you, have you been to Indy? And is the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's for real? <laughs> um you know, I have not been to St. Elmo's. Um, I have been to Indy. I actually did an internship with the Colts when wow. I was in college. Now, now I got to date myself here. This is when the Colts were absolutely horrible. This is pre Peyton Manning, 
Um, it was actually the year that they were so bad that they had the first two picks in the draft when Steve Entman and Quentin Coriot went one two. Brad, do we have you, bud? You, you got me now? We got you now. You you just left off with uh, Coriot and Epman 1-2. I remember that. 90, now it's 92, yeah, wasn't it? Coriot. Yeah, so they, they – they had they had gone one and fifteen the previous year, and uh, they ended up going. I think it was nine and seven. Is it nine and seven or seven and nine? Uh, the season that I worked for them, but um, but yeah. So so in other words, I have been to Indianapolis, and I and I think I was I was there uh, two other times. Once for a Big Ten championship game, and uh, and I believe once for a women's Final Four when I was with ESPN. Okay. Well, so what, what are what are the Brad uh, Brad Edwards recommendations? I guess is what I'm asking from what your memory serves. Uh, I, I I would let's put it this way: if I go back there again, I will have to try St. Elmo's. Okay. Um, when I was there before, I was I was always on some sort of uh, some sort of plan where I had a uh, a. What would be the best way to describe it? Um, a per diem, sure. I guess, where where anything I didn't spend on food, I got to pocket. And uh, I think you have a lot of listeners who will appreciate this. It's like when when you're going to get, let's just say, $48 a day for food, um, you, you go get fast food as many times as you can, and then you save the rest of it, and then you, uh, you know, go – buy a game for the Xbox or something like that when you get home. So that's uh, <laughs> that was my M.O. back then. I wasn't really concerned with fine dining as much as I was saving up money. That makes sense. I'll take the uh, the two-for-one deal. And uh, look, Brad is $45 <laughs> for, uh, for Tuesday already. How is this uh, NIL going to going to be entertaining or interesting in your eyes down not just across college football but you know the sec well i we we all know how competitive the sec is do you see it uh helping some of the the mid-range programs and i'm using that mid-range term with all due respect can 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 it make a dent when it comes to attracting talent i look at, at some of the stories this week i look at miami a big boosters giving the football team I think five hundred bucks total investment of you know just shy of five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He's a gym owner down in Miami. Yeah. I look at uh, Uncle Phil at, at Nike, Phil Knight, and Thibodeau is partnering with uh, with Tinker and, and Phil, the guy who did the Air Jordans, of course. That's pretty unique and really cool for Oregon with how they kind of reinvented and separated themselves with the, the wardrobes right on top of their the Chip Kelly blur style. Now, you know, what are some things you think could happen down in the SEC? Uh, you know, Bama already uh, develops you, and you're, you're really good anyway to go there. So <laughs> they've been killing it without NIL. What, what, uh, what's Bama's plan of action in your mind? And, and also, what are some other options for schools? Yeah, I mean, I, I think whether it's Alabama or, you know, any of the other top programs, the question is, is, is this going to affect what to this point has, has been the predictability of recruiting, which is that the best players want to go where they're going to have the best chance to get to the next level. And, and obviously Alabama, Ohio State, and, and a few others, are there any now that might say, hey, that's less important to me than being able to make uh, a few thousand dollars more while I'm in school? Now, I think a lot of us have to put ourselves back in that mindset of when we were – 18, 19, 20, and, you know, $2,000 meant a lot more to us back then than it might today. 
Uh, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's chump change today. I mean, for some people it is. Um, but uh, I, I just have to remember what would I have thought at age 17 or 18 if someone was telling me that I would get $2,000 for this compared to what I would think of it today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where you hope that, you know, that all these kids, and I know it's not the case for all of them, but, that, but you hope that they have people who have that greater perspective who can kind of advise them on short-term versus long-term and to make sure they're doing the things that are you know, best for their long-term interests. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that I, I think that we'll have to see how it shakes out is, you know, does big program automatically equal big money? I, I've, I've seen people debate, you know, a, a USC, for example, versus, um, well, I mean, well, Brad, you, 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 cut, a, out, a you cut, cut out right after USC. Can you reset for us? <laughs> Yeah, so so I'll, I'll try to clean that up. No, that's fine. Um, it's what I think is going to be interesting is you know whether a program in a in a big city. I mean, I guess the ultimate example of this would be USC, compared to you know someone more like an Alabama or let's just say a Georgia that that are located in a real college town. Maybe Georgia is a bad example because they're not too far from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to make a difference? Because on one hand, you'd say, all right, you're going to have all these opportunities if you're in a big city. But on the other hand, if that big city already has professional athletes that are more marketable, you know, is it, is it really going to, you know, going to make that much of a difference to you to, to go to a place where there are a lot more people? I, I don't know. I think ultimately what we're going to see is that there are going to be a whole lot of players in what we would consider non-revenue sports, you know, outside of football and men's basketball, that are going to do really well off of this. Um, and, and I don't mean an entire roster of them, but I mean some select play. And, and they might not all be All-Americans, um, but for one reason or another, they're very marketable. And I think that's the reason that this, was a, that this needed to happen. Mm-hmm. It's because for certain people, the greatest marketability they will ever have in their life is while they're in college. And it has always struck me as completely un-American to, de- to, n- to deny someone the opportunity to capitalize on that. And, and so, you know, we'll see what happens there. You know, you mentioned that the Miami situation where the gem owner is giving everybody on the team a certain amount of money. Um, whether that's a lot of money to him, I have no idea. Obviously, you know, that wouldn't be a lot of money to someone like Phil Knight. Um, but, but I've always thought that people who have made a lot of money – they didn't get there by being stupid or or by being irresponsible you know when it when it comes to money and budget and and so while there might be uh, a few people whether they're legitimate businesses or whether it's just a you know a booster who's trying to help recruiting um they may go over the top a little bit here the first year or two but i think eventually what you're going to see is that there's just not a lot of value in going after unproven players mm. Because we all know there's so many four- and five-star recruits out there who everyone expects to be the next All-American, the next first-round pick, and, and a lot of them just don't pan out. That's just the way it's always been. And, and so if, if you're a business, do you want to roll the dice and make a big investment in someone like that, or do you want to wait and see, okay, who ends up being that proven commodity um, and who can I invest in who I might be able to sustain a relationship with 
once they go pro and become an even bigger deal. And so I just think there's so much that it's going to have to work itself out over the next year or two that um, there are a lot of reasons to be concerned um, with some of what we're seeing right now and whether this could end up being a complete fiasco. Um, but I think eventually it, it's it's all going to work itself out, and it may end up you know operating very differently two years from now than it is at the moment. Few minutes here, Brad Edwards with us, college football insider and author, Dynasty by the Numbers, with us here at Hale Varsity Radio. You can follow Brad on Twitter at jbradedwards. Brad, there's an updated FPI ranking out. Uh, you have some changes, some amendments. And uh, shifting Mississippi State uh, now just inside the top 25 versus being number eight. Miami's up there in the top 10. A lot of love for Iowa State and Oklahoma. Ohio State's there. Let's get into margin for error, right? And let's talk about that. And I know that's part of the, the, uh, the FBI calculation. When we talk about error, we talk about turnovers and special teams, hidden yardage, all those things that can make things a lot closer. One one example last year, I thought Indiana was a really good football team and they were one of one of the few teams to to put to really push Ohio State. You go dig into that a little bit. That was probably uh, aside from the Northwestern outing, uh, the worst game for Justin Fields. You have turnover issues, and that's how you have a closer ball game. You have a 14 to 17 point spread, and next thing you know, Ohio State's uh, double digit lead is a drive away from either tying or losing the game. But you know what? There's there's just a certain gap, and if you help another team out, that gap closes. Yeah, and, and that's that's the way that it, it's always been. And, and, you know, we had all the excitement um, in, in recent months over the, uh, the, you know, presumed expansion of the playoff mm-hmm. and, you know, what that would mean for the sport. And everyone gets excited over the idea of, you know, maybe a, a number eight could upset a number one at some point or a seven over a two. And, and it will occasionally happen because of, stuff like that, you know, where, where the one or two seed just goes out and makes a lot of mistakes they don't typically make, and, and, and the other team plays really well. But for the most part, um, in, in most seasons, there is a pretty big gap between whether it's the top two and everyone else or the top three, top four, um, but, but there's a very select group of teams that typically uh, have a talent edge over the rest of the country and where that will prove to be this year, I don't know. But my, my bet is it will be a number four or smaller. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get beyond that, and then you've got another cluster of teams that are, you know, uh, approximately number four or five all the way down to about, I don't know, 16 to 20, that there's not a whole lot of difference between them. And then you get this other group where you get, you know, from somewhere around number 20 to 25 all the way back to like, you know, 65 to 70, where there's not much separating those teams. And, you know, ultimately everyone, you know, makes judgments on how good teams are based on their record. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times just the the difference between being the, you know, the nine and three team uh, and the, you know, let's say five and seven team. Um, is, you know, what you were saying. It's, it's you know, inopportune turnovers. It's uh, injuries at the wrong position. 
uh, or a string of injuries at one position. You know, you just there, there's so many things that you, you can't control that either go into the good luck or bad luck category that that uh, often dictate uh, why one team uh, ends up appearing to be a lot better than another team that's pretty even in talent. And I, you know, I think that's what the what the fun thing is uh, with these seasons. It's not okay, who are going to be the best four teams and who's going to make the playoff? I mean, as much as we wish there was a lot of mystery there, there typically isn't. It's the next two tiers, you know, that I mentioned. It's filling out the top 20 or 25. It's, you know, who has a winning record versus a losing record. That's where those fine margins come into play. And as you know all too well, that's kind of where Nebraska's found itself for the last decade or more is, you know, those, those fine margins where, you know, there's not a whole lot separating the you know that that winning record and being a bowl team from you know being worse and uh, and obviously the the idea of just being a bowl team um, has has uh, you know for most of Nebraska's history kind of been assumed mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they've gotten to the point now where you know where there is doubt and and even a mild degree of excitement over you know having that winning record I, I think. Uh, I think it's um, you know it's it's obviously a, a big adjustment for a lot of people who've uh, who've been following the program for a long time. Brad Edwards is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, and Brad, a season is so unpredictable. But w- when we had Phil Steele on last week, uh, he kind of broke down his college football preview, and we learned that he has put Oklahoma and uh, Ohio State both in his top four. Both those teams are on Nebraska's schedule this year. Oklahoma's at number one, Ohio State's at number three, according to Phil Steele. But I, I just want to get your take: how much stock should we put into these these preseason polls? Well, as you know, um, one of the major things that goes into them is how many players are coming back. And uh, while you consider that to be very meaningful at the moment, we we really don't know how well that's going to hold up. I mean, you are going to have injuries, um, you know, in the in the first few weeks of the season uh, that'll change the face of some of these teams. And then, you know, in in some cases, you'll have a player who people are making assumptions about that. Uh, turns out to be uh, either much better or much worse than than people had assumed, um, and so there there are all sorts of of variables that that always go into this to, to dictate, you know, whether a, a team is is truly a playoff contender or whether they're you know they end up in that next tier where they're just kind of hovering around in the top twenty for for most of the season. And so, um, I mean, Ohio State has just they've done this for so long that. You just feel like it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. They've got so much more talent than most of the teams on their schedule that that it would it would pretty much be impossible <laughs> for them to to lose more than two games. That's the way it's felt for a long time now, and it's obviously been a long time since they lost more than two games in the regular season. So um, I, I would I would expect you you have more of that from them. And then Oklahoma, while I think they have some competition in the Big Twelve. Um, they've obviously owned that league for you know for well, I don't know was it five or six in a row they've won now, and um, have a, a really talented offense and a defense that appears to have you know improved a lot uh, over the last couple of years. So um, they, they I think they have to be the favorite to win the Big Twelve, but uh, are they untouchable? I don't think so. And then that's that's where I see a difference between Oklahoma and Ohio State. Like it's as great as Oklahoma could be offensively. Up and down the roster, both sides of the ball, they don't have the talent and certainly not the depth that a team like Ohio State has. And so 
Um, I don't know that Oklahoma would be able to survive certain injuries um, as well as the Buckeyes might be able to. But um, unless you know, unless they have some bad luck, I would I would expect both of those teams uh, are going to be right there in that playoff door at the end of the season, knocking on it. Couple more minutes, Brad Edwards with us, College Football Insider, Hale Varsity Radio. Brad, uh, we talk about uh, you know different parts in Nebraska, the margin for error, the expectations, the fan base, the passion. You know, you've been to, to Lincoln a few times. You were in studio with us. You know, what? what how do you compute the sellout streak? As a guy who's covered college football on a national level, what does Nebraska's sellout streak mean to you? What's your impression of it? I say that because there's some concern with, uh, you know, if it can if, if it can hold up uh, based on what many people look at is, is a tough season ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, for for most people, I think it's an example of, you know, just – just how hardcore and, and loyal that fan base is, and and the fact that they are so far removed from the glory days—I hate to say that—but um, I, I think that the, the facts speak for themselves, um, and and that the streak hasn't ended yet. I think it says a whole lot about Nebraska fans, and you know, and and how much they support their team and they love the program, uh, even when they're not competing for championships. Um, I'm sure you could play devil's advocate mm-hmm. and say, well, there's there's not as much to do in Nebraska as there might be in some other places, and that's part of the reason that the streak has continued. And I would say, you know what, that's that's true, mm-hmm. but it's also true for a number of other places around the country where they don't have a, a sellout streak and certainly have not managed to, to keep the, the same level of fan engagement um, despite some down years. So um, I, I think it says a lot. I don't you know, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it's 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 tough because this is what year four mm-hmm. with Frost, um, and, and so you you know you you got a coach who is one of your own. Year four is is obviously that year where most of the roster is is, is now made up of his own recruits, and that is typically when you know most people would say that if you know if a coach can't get it done in year four, I mean, unless there are some serious extenuating circumstances. Then, um, if, if if he's not showing progress by year four, then then there's every reason to wonder whether it's going to happen. And so, I, I I think this is going to be a you know this is going to be a year where you're going to potentially learn a lot about you know where this this program is likely to be over the next two or three years and and beyond. Um, I, I have I have no idea. Um, what the expectation is, you could you could tell me a, a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at the schedule, and you know, you you mentioned or Elijah mentioned, the, you know, the games where you know are, are probable losses: Oklahoma and Ohio State, and then there are a whole lot of other games where you know there's certainly the possibility they could lose. I mean, let's put it this way. That you've probably played this game on the air. That's a win. That's a loss. Whatever. It, there aren't a whole lot of games on that schedule I look at and I say that's a win. You're not. You're not um, there using are a bunch it. of them where I say could go either way. Well, it's it's in uh, pencil, not ink, Brad. When you fill out the, uh, exactly. the old the old garage schedule, right? The the old Husker poster in your garage. Usually, it's ink. Win win. No, it's it's all pencil this year. And Brad, last thought here, uh, Dynasty by the Numbers. Where can folks get your book? Yeah, so we're uh, the the website is going to launch 
Um, I'm trying to think what the day is. I believe it's July 19th, whatever the Monday is. Okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna launch the website and open for pre-orders. Um, and uh, if, so, if you are a, a fan of college football history, or you happen to be an Alabama fan living in Nebraska, uh, the, the website name uh, it's not active right now, so don't don't bother going there. But it's going to be BamaDynastyBook.com is where it can be ordered. And then uh, we should have the books at the very beginning of August to start shipping out. Well, awesome work on this project. I can't wait to to read it. And thanks for talking some ball with us. We'll do this again soon. Look forward to it. Take care. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Back to it, hour two. It's Hale Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery Weekend Edition. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Bless his soul. Mark Cranach on the men. Partner, we'll get you back next week. And uh, excited to spend time here with managing editor from HaleVarsity.com and magazine, his usual Saturday spot, Brandon Vogel with us. Follow him on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel and read his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Vogue's, uh, as you're handicapping things, not only the uh, the old office pool on, on timeline, but also candidates for this uh, this new Nebraska AD. Uh, how, how is your draw and where are your odds at right now for who and when? Um, the field is a, is a one-to-one favorite at this point because, you know, I think, I think a couple of the, the early candidates that we all, you know, identified as time has gone on, uh, well, Pollard came out and said straight up that he's, he's, he's a cyclone. Um, Ed Stewart seems like he could still be in the mix, though, so if, if that were the pick. You know, it seems like we would have heard something at this point. So I think it's it's a truly open search. Um, these things are, are pretty tough. If, if there's not a kind of a slam dunk candidate who has an immediate connection to your school, you know, there's there's a reason they always hire search firms for, for these sorts of things because it's, it's, it's a big job. It's a tough job. It, and it gets tougher as time goes on. You know, you don't just have to manage. I mean, you're running a, a pretty big business when it comes down to it. And, oh, by the way, you know, you got to have a pretty good knowledge of college athletics across the board. So, um, yeah, at this point, uh, nothing would surprise me because I think everything would surprise me is, is the way it has gone for me so far. Mm-hmm. No, and, and Ronnie Green pretty clear on the timeline. July, you got the search firm to do its thing. You've you've had a chance to, I'm sure, review some candidates. Uh, just your take on some of the candidates that, or I should say, names. Can't really call them candidates, right? Because the search firm has not divulged who all the candidates are. But uh, you got Garrett Glassy down there that uh, is doing a good job of navigating through NIL. You hear Trev Alberts' his name. And then your partner, John Cook, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a part in the Dream Like a Champion section that you can all inform us about, about how it's a dream for John Cook, uh, part of that Dream Like a Champion, champion to be, a, be an AD, right? 
<laughs> no, that wasn't covered in the book. And I know, I know, I know. I've never, <laughs> I've never uh, spoken specifically with him about, which you know, it's kind of, kind of interesting. You know, over the past couple of years, um, I would say when it's like, okay, well, Moose is here and things are going well, and uh, eventually Nebraska's going to need somebody else. You know, Cook's name started to, to bubble up. It's just. I think at this stage in his career with the kind of players he has coming back for this season, but also this recruiting class that he's welcoming, I just don't know if the timing lines up. But, you know, I think he's a competitive person, and he would love the challenge of kind of getting Nebraska to a place where it it once occupied pretty frequently across the board, you know, across all sports, uh, would motivate him. I just worry that it's kind of the wrong timing for, for that one, you know, as – as this goes on and as, as there's no kind of easy candidates that, that emerge where it's like, oh, yeah, you just go get that guy. Um, I, I really kind of look for Nebraska to bring in an outside hire, um, which means, you know, well, it'll be a little bit like Eichhorst, you know, uh, in, in terms of, and I know that probably set off alarm bells for, for some people. Bogues, it's 8, 10 they, in the morning. <laughs> yeah. They, they need they need somebody I think who who really has kind of a comprehensive vision for what Nebraska athletics is going to be three four five years from now um, and you know at that point you're kind of turning over every rock and, and checking every option. Brandon, at this point, do you think that we're going to have a new AD in place at Nebraska before the Big Ten media is? That seems like that's a uh, just a date that would make a lot of sense to have a new AD in place by the time you make it out to Indianapolis. But do you think that's a, a realistic timeline? Yeah, we're we're getting pretty close to, to to hitting that. I mean, I think you'd basically have to to have an announcement and and somebody set to be in place this week. I would think to to be able to to do that. You if if they're not sure, if they're not ready by that point, like I don't think it's the worst thing because. If, if you have somebody, if you announce somebody, say, the Monday of uh, Big Ten Media Days, then a lot of the questions Frost gets are going to be about his new boss. If there's not somebody in place, I, I strangely think it could be to uh, Frost's advantage at, at Media Days because then you deal with, like, one question about, hey, what do you hope for in a new athletic director? And then you get to actually talk about football. So it, it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. He's got to get asked about it. It's just a matter of how. Is it talking about a new guy or talking about what he hopes the new person could be? Now, Brandon, I don't want to call the Bill Moose regime at Nebraska leaky, but it kind of felt like in the media we, we had an idea of who Nebraska was looking at, for at least the big hires they were making. When I look at Hoiberg, Will Bolt, uh, Coach Frost. Uh, all those were kind of out there before the news actually broke. Um, but whenever you bring in a search firm, they're, they're pretty uh, – they're lips paid shut. to be silent. Yeah, they, they they keep those uh those lips shut. So do you think we're gonna have anything uh like leaking out about who the potential candidates could be, maybe so they can get a feel for what Nebraska fans have to say, or, or do you think this is gonna be just a, a hire that is just they announce a press conference one day and they're gonna announce their guy? Yeah, I I would guess the way this probably goes. So you hire a search firm for their expertise, yes. But that's maybe only half of it. Might be even less than half of it. it will, what you really hire them for is the ability to do these things confidentially. Um, you know, I would say with the past athletic director hires that I've been a part of, you know, covering at, at Hale Varsity, 
once they have their person is when things, you know, a day or two early maybe is when things kind of start to leak out. Um, that happened when, when Osborne took over. That happened with Icors. happened with Moose. So that that tends to be it. So I would be surprised if it's like, well, here are the four people that they're they're really serious about. It's usually down to one before you start hearing too much. So at that point, no, I don't think it's really kind of floating a test balloon because they're they're set. They're dotting the I's and crossing the T's and getting ready to to hold a press conference at that point. Brandon Vogel's with us, HailVarsity.com and magazine managing editor at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Vogues, I'm going to throw a name out, get your reaction, and uh, we can just play name that AD, you know, as we get into another week. John Cunningham, Cincinnati, or Cincinnati. Yeah, how long has he been there? Um, 2019, I've got, only- I've, I've got the resume here. 2019 is when he uh, got ascended to Cincy's AD, was pretty much instrumental in the Fleck hire at Minnesota. Boise, Syracuse, Minnesota, uh, fundraising guru, Wallet, the Gopher, Gopherville with that new football stadium, TCU grad, Nebraska Law School grad, Nebraska native, Pius Thunderbolt, and uh, is an expert in compliance. I mean, that's, that's a money rundown. Boise, TCU, Syracuse, Minnesota, uh, Cincinnati, Pius yeah i mean that 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 does uh i mean there's a lot to like about maryland is it maryland cincinnati's yeah you look at cincinnati's football program right now you know uh i I know when you and i were growing up chris cincinnati basketball was was a big deal fell on a little bit uh you know went away for a little bit but Mm -hmm. but has been better of late um and you got the Nebraska tie. I mean, that that is the resume of somebody who you'd be shocked if he didn't at least get a call for this, mm-hmm. um, given all that he has accomplished outside of Nebraska. And then the fact that he, he is a local is, is kind of the cherry on top. You've got, uh, I mean, you, you got words of praise from Richard Patino. Uh, you, you have words of praise, praise from P.J. Fleck, from Jimmy Bayheim. Um Hey, why? I mean, this guy's got all the bases covered between compliance at some places that, frankly, had to deal with compliance. You know, I think a, I think a Maryland, um, I, I, you know, Syracuse, TCU, Boise, and I know the Nebraska tie. The thing about this is he is either because he's a good dude to work for, or from a timing standpoint, uh, you have fickle. And he's not gone anywhere, right? He's the, the one hot name that, that hasn't gone anywhere from, from Group of Five to Power Five the last three to five years. And he had his minding the candy store moment with Ohio State, and he quite frankly didn't do that bad. He didn't do that bad, and he was man enough to, to go back to, to being a defensive coordinator once Urban took over, okay? I mean, think about that. You're... you're, you're, you're the interim coach in that bridge between Trestle and Urban, you got to go back to 20, 2011 for it. But he did a good job. I mean, I know a six and six Ohio State team's like, what's going on in this world? But they were pretty good the year after. So I, I just think, you know, Fickle's got to like working for the guy because he's, he's still there. It sucked for him to lose Mick Cronin, but, uh, you know, Cincinnati's 
trying to build up. He he has been to the the the, the Power Five, and he's run a in a short time a good Group of Five squad. So, and you tell me this, Vogues, and we'll get into some football talk here in a moment, but uh, Nebraska wise, but did he inherit Fl- uh, Fickle, or do you, or does it sound like he made the hire? I, help me with the timeline there. He got to Cincinnati in 2019. Yes. Has Fickle yeah, been there so since he would have in, inherited him? He would have inherited him. But, um, you know, still, like, with someone like Fickle who – and I, I think you're right, you know, highlighting that Ohio State year. Fickle, is to me, is somebody who is very smartly playing the long game with his coaching career. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, not everybody's willing to go back and be a D.C., Particularly when you're in the interim in a tough spot and you go six and six, like it could be, you know, I'll just jump someplace else. No, he stayed there um, and, and did that and earned another job. And he hasn't jumped at the first couple of opportunities had after turning Cincinnati into a top 25 team. So really smart on his end. What that means from an AD perspective, though, is you've got to kind of be in constant conversations and continuing to keep a candidate like that there as, as long as you can which, you know, maybe isn't quite the challenge of having to go out and hire somebody new and identify the next big thing, guy who's going to have a ton of success, but it's still something. It is, and we can say a lot of things about the the boat rower, but he just gets it done. <laughs> I mean, he gets it done, and I point back to, um, to, to Cunningham's involvement with getting that deal done to, to get Fleck to Minnesota. They've been pretty good. Um, Vogue's uh, pretty good story uh, from our friends over at The Athletic, uh, specifically when it comes to overachieving and underachieving. Nebraska comes in just right uh, in front of Tennessee, I believe, when it comes to programs that have underachieved based on their four-year recruiting ranking average. And I, I can look at what Nebraska's done on the field and say, yes, they've They've underachieved. There's some games they should have won. Speaking of Fleck, I think of the Minnesota game. And, you know, that, that back-to-back, that, that Minnesota and Illinois game were just killers last year. But I think overall, Nebraska's not that far away from putting a drive together or getting a stop and getting a win in a lot of these close games. I think you can see, uh, you need to see, you want to see that happen here in 2021. Do you chalk up ne- Nebraska's failure on-field because it's not been able to translate their recruits, that recruiting ranking, that that composite 24-7 top 25 number. I don't necessarily chalk it up to the recruits because, quite frankly, they've not retained a lot of those high-level. They've they've kept a lot of good players, but they've also lost a lot of guys that helped bring that that ranking up to a 25. I just think it's overall discipline on the field that's been the issue to, to, to them not living up to snuff. Uh, from an underachieving standpoint, it's not been it's not been the recruiting side of things. Where, listen, they've they've not gotten performances out of some of their players. I think they've gotten really good performances out of some of the young guys, uh, the Ty Robinsons of the world, the Casey Rogers uh, of the world. Uh, I, I look at, at Adrian. I know he's had his ups and downs, but he's had pretty good moments at quarterback. And, and I think, well, honestly, you're going to see some of those young pups on the O line. Uh, you know, if Nebraska is going to move forward, you're going to have uh, better years from some of those guys that could pop this year. Where are you at with that? Uh, with Nebraska's underachievement, what do you pin it on? 
Well, uh, you know, it, doing it via the method um, that that Max did for for the athletic, I, I looked at that and I was like, well, here's here's basically the story of Nebraska's entire time in the Big Ten. Like, so Nebraska's in the the bottom ten or fifteen or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and you look over to the top ten or fifteen, and in who's there? Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin. Um, you know, re- recruiting rankings give us a good kind of ballpark estimate of how how talented teams are. So you could look at, well, this team has recruited the tenth best class, and they they're playing the teams to recruit twenty. The the higher talent team is going to win the majority of the time. It's, you know, and that works across the board. It's good enough for that. I think one of the things, one of the problems I have with, with recruiting is, is that we kind of look at these rankings and without fully understanding how small the gaps are for, for like, I was looking at the 2019 composite rankings Alabama's number one based on the, the points, whatever formula 247 uses to tabulate that. Based on points, it's 38 points ahead of number six, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, to go 38 points further down the list, took you down to like 23 in Mississippi State. So there's everyone between 23 and six is kind of in the same group in my mind. And if you go from Mississippi State, it takes you all the way down to like 40 in Kentucky. So, I mean, these groups get really big. What, what we really have with recruiting is like four or five teams that get the lion's share of the talent. And everybody below that is closer than I think we typically think of if you just look at the rankings. So, for me, why is Nebraska in that bottom ten list? It, it comes down to the development part of it. But you also mentioned something um, just the, the the attrition, like instead of using rankings or points, let's assign a money value to this. Let's say Nebraska's number 24 ranked class is worth $10,000. Mm-hmm. And in Alabama at the top is maybe a $100,000 class. Like the tax rate for Nebraska right now is 40% because that's what they lose in attrition over a four year span. Like it's just, it's stayed that way for the entire decade. So your $10,000 is actually 6,000. So you got to overcome that part, too. And that means you've got to be really, really good at development. Brandon, how would you grade the, the current coaching staff's recruiting as a whole since they've arrived? I mean, I, I know the composites say that they're top 25 in terms of their recruiting or right around that, uh, that 25 mark. But whenever you, you look at the recruiting, that they've missed in some key positions. And then with all that attrition, uh, 25th best in the country doesn't sound about right to me. I mean, where would you grade the recruiting either on a, on an F to A scale or on a, a terms of uh, the, the top 25, like go, go either way with you with that. But just how, how would you rate the recruiting of this staff? Yeah. So if they're, if they're signing, you know, top 25 classes, I would say they produced at maybe like a 35 to 40 level which kind of ties ties into to a little bit of what I was saying is that the difference between 25 and 40 is, is really actually pretty small. So, so what you actually have is this coaching staff, I think has boosted Nebraska's recruiting a, a little bit. And it's been during a unique time, you know, the transfer portal, December signing their first signing class, like 
there's a lot that's still in motion with, with these classes that make it tough to evaluate right now. And also the fact that Nebraska's held a lot of it in reserve when it could. Um, you know, we, we haven't seen a lot of these guys play that were even signed in like 2019, you know, one of those early classes. So, so there's that part of it too. But the overall point is, is like where Nebraska has recruited, it's in basically somewhere between tier two and tier three, I would say. And we can look at that at the end of the year every, and it's almost every year and say, well, that's better than Iowa. That's better than Wisconsin. It's better than what Northwestern did, but it's only really just a little bit better. And if those programs, and it's proven out at this point over more than one decade, are really, really good at identifying the talent that they need and developing it, then the on paper Nebraska's 20th in the country and Iowa's 36th is, is virtually null. Mm-hmm. That's just it. You, you want kids around here to get developed, and if you're losing, if your tax rate's 40%, you're not you're not getting to develop too many guys because they're not here and and that's that's but i look at some folks i look at a couple names here i mean the you know the the hail varsity yearbook has an incredible profile on nebraska but also the rest of the big 10 and some great features miles farmer we need to see more of but when we've seen miles farmer hey kid go in and start at northwestern uh two picks later that's young talent that was ready to ball and until he got injured was was doing nice small window but that's a good view luke reimer guy that, that they found at the linebacker spot when he stays healthy can really fly around to the football ty robinson casey rogers darian daniels i mean that's just the defensive side of the ball corcoran ben hart um on on your outside you know maybe you know cam has an all Big Ten level. I know there's uh, some stacked centers in this league, but um, Austin Allen. I mean, there's there's the possibility uh, of of to, folks to see some of that development, that payoff, and and then the the million dollar question is, what kind of development can you get out of your running back? As we kind of close out here, that's that's a position group uh, Elijah and I focused on uh, yesterday, and. Uh, you got a lot of candidates. We'll, we'll kind of get your final say there on on what you hope to see development-wise with the running game. Do you think you can find an A and a B and, and, a, and a 2B? Uh, I mean, that might be the best example for, for what we're talking about here this year, at least, is that running back spot. Cause you've got guys who, I mean, Gabe Urban's new, but beyond that, you've, you've got guys who have been in the program and you haven't quite had the rushing production in terms of handoff run game that Nebraska needs, in my opinion, to be successful. So you've got a slew of options. Um, it, it's hard for me to, to identify one at this point just based on what we've seen because we haven't seen a ton. You know, I, I still kind of, when I handicap this race, look at Marvin Scott, and I, I liked him coming out of high school. Um, got he was the closest to getting significant playing time last year does that carry over or is somebody like urban just kind of well we found the right guy finally and and he's he's our best player there uh, it's there's there's no good kind of options but when, when i look at this 2021 season and at this point in the off season we're all pretty good right at looking at the roster and be like well there's your most experienced guard he's probably going to play a lot and there's your most experienced tackle etc cetera, etc cetera. i think a 
very good development for Nebraska would be some of those young players who we know all their names, but we just don't know what to think about them really start having an impact and start pushing and be like, well, I wouldn't even have that guy on my two deep, but here he is. We're six games in and he's one of the best players of the season so far. Nebraska really needs that. It's time for some of those guys to, to pop. I think, um, who are they going to be? I don't know, but it's, they're far enough into this that I think that's a pretty fair expectation. Brandon Vogel with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogues, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for giving us a few minutes today, bud. You too, guys. Thanks. Awesome. Good chat, man. Great to get run, get in touch with Vogues on the weekend edition. Podcast will be up here shortly after 9. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, City Radio. Give us a rating, good, bad, or ugly. Subscribe. It don't cost you nothing. Uh, enjoy as uh, we gear up towards football. We'll check in next with the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp's on the way with Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then... Two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Back to it, weekend edition. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal uh, sending good vibes and thoughts to Mark Cranach as he uh, gets better. Bless his heart. And um, we are going to focus in on some baseball and talk to the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp joins us. Sharpie, first and foremost, brother, I know you're in Omaha you doing all right. It, it's just uh, Elijah's eastern part of, of Lincoln, kind of near the interstate Havelock region, and got rocked a little bit. But it sounds like Omaha got worked something fierce by some storms. You guys doing okay up there? Well, I appreciate the thoughts. Uh, yeah, we're not in good shape here in Omaha. We got, uh, I'm in the Exarvin Village area, and so we don't have any power. We haven't had power since the – and it, it, I know over the miles, a 100-mile of wind that came right through my neighborhood – uh, it was probably about 12.30 that the power got knocked out, but um, I kind of got out in the neighborhood, and that's where I'm at now, so you might hear chainsaws in the background. I mean, there's trees down everywhere. So, yeah, Omaha took the brunt of it. You know, you, we have the U.S. Senior Open in town, and they got crushed out at OCC, and that is in the, the north part of Omaha. So we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild. We'll survive. We'll uh, move on. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was wild last night. Well, thoughts with you guys and, and just checking social media. So many without power, a lot of postings of friends in Omaha and neighborhoods and, and just some some great memories of, you know, trees you grew up with and just the, the region where a lot of wooded, uh, you know, areas in Omaha and, and, you know, thinking about you guys up there. So, um, you know, take care and God bless and we'll, uh, we'll send you the help you, might, you may need, bud. So... Uh, Sharpie, a pretty big weekend for Nebraska baseball. Obviously, Spencer Schwellenbach uh, will uh, will hear his name. But you know, what does the future hold for for Cade Povich and Jackson Hallmark? You know, the feel is that they're back. But then you've got members of this recruiting class, great recruiting class that we'll both put together with Drew Christo and Chase Mason. How's your How's your gut feeling about you know what Nebraska looks like Tuesday morning? Well, I think first, let's start with Schwelly. Uh, you're on Schwelly watch tomorrow. He could go in the first round. I think he'll be gone by the end of the second round. And that's great for Nebraska, great for him. And then we'll be curious to see how he's utilized in professional baseball. 
with with Kate Povich, you know, there was a probably part of the year you thought, okay, Kate has established himself as the number one guy. He's going to come back, and then as he performed during the season, and you saw his repertoire of pitches and and kind of his makeup. I think his draft stock went up. I don't expect Cade to be back. I think Cade gets drafted on the second day and has an opportunity to go play professional baseball. I don't think Nebraska is counting on him coming back. Now, Jackson Hallmark, I think there's a real possibility that he'll be back, and that would be huge. Then to the bigger ones, um, you know, Drew Christo, I've seen him uh, many times. He's going to be the athlete of the year uh, in the Omaha World Herald. He's a you know, three-sport star, Dad Monty. We talked about him a lot. Uh, the thing with, my, with the thing with Drew is it's gotten closer to the draft. And, you know, and there have been plenty of scouts that have seen him. He went to the draft combine. There is a prevailing thought among major league teams is that he's going to be tough to keep away from Nebraska. And if that does turn out to be the case, then that is huge for Nebraska, of course, because Drew comes in and he's going to be a guy that's going to pitch somewhere on your weekend in the Big Ten. Now Chase Mason up in South Dakota. I mean, this is – this is kind of Roy Hobbs, the natural small-town South Dakota kid, 6'5", 215, can run um, like the wind. He's got what a four-sport. He's a sport, four-sport athlete. Uh, people have said if he played professional baseball, he'd be a 25-25 guy, 25 wow. homers, 25 stolen bases. Um, he might be a little bit more difficult to uh, coax out of the draft and into Lincoln. But if if Will Bolt goes two for two with those two guys, and you already look at the recruiting class that he's assembled. I mean, Nebraska is going to pick right up where they left off at the end of last year, and that's just the momentum in the build. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy time for college baseball coaches, one, because there's a ton of players in the portal, and then, two, you've got these draft guys that, you know, they're going to get drafted, and it's about a month until school starts. So what happens if somebody decides late? Then you're not really going to be able to replace them. So it'll be a good day for It'll be a good three days for Nebraska. It'll show you what kind of talent is in the program now and what they're recruiting. But I think Nebraska will turn out to be a winner in the uh, Major League Baseball draft. Gary Sharp's with us, the Iron Horse, Hale Varsity Radio, talking Husker baseball and Huskers in the uh, Major League Baseball draft this weekend. And good for Schwelly. I think you're right on with Povich. Does Chase Mason remind you of anybody? I know you've been up close and personal with Drew Christo, but I love the, the Hobbs comparison uh, with size and speed and the, the, the track uh athleticism because you know chase did track as well does he remind you anybody either past or, or current in, in major league baseball not to unfairly put pressure on him but what's what's his swing and his game remind you of you know not as they're they're not the same size but i'll keep it with nebraska and the major league baseball draft a little bit like monty harrison okay you know monty harrison is one of the best high school wide receivers i've ever seen in person and he made the wise decision to sign to go play professional baseball and never ended up in Lincoln. Um, they have a very similar type of game, uh, the way they swing, the way they run. They've got a natural feel uh, for the game. So that would be kind of the closest comparison. But, you know, it's, it's tough to find one because he's 6'5", 215, has got a sweet-looking swing. Um, I, you know, I, I think he's one that it's going to be tough to keep away from the draft because Major League Baseball scouts are going to look at him and they're going to look at the upside, and they're going to say, okay, here's a guy that still is kind of raw, but look what he has. And he went to the draft combine a couple of weeks ago and just wowed people. But whether he ends up at Nebraska or not, that's a great sign for Will Bold, that Will Bold is kind of locking down the region. He starts in-state and then moves to the region to recruit, and he's getting guys like this to say yes to him. 
now you'll really see the pull if he gets guys like Chase Mason and Drew Christo to turn down some fairly good money to come to college because it's not like you're coming to college for one year. You're going to come to college and you're going to be in school for three years before you're eligible for the draft again. But this is also where maybe name image likeness for the first time with college baseball going against the draft, you can actually use that and maybe convince some guys that were 14, 15, 16-round picks in a 20-round draft that it would be better for them to come to school that they could make a little bit of money. Do you have any – Sharp, you grew up in baseball. I mean, when it comes to, to draft and development and players, and uh, you you know it well. What's the number at? Do you have any any wild guess for, for, for Mason or for Christo? What what is the the number? What what would it be possible with where their draft slots projected at, and and what a team could could throw at them? Well, and you know it, it depends on, of course, where they're drafted and their slot money for each spot in the Major League Baseball draft. And teams can teams can go over it, but they can't get ridiculous. They just cannot spend uh, an of the short amount of money. But if they go later in the draft and you put a package together. You're probably at uh, one, 150, okay. 200K in that range. You know, and every, everybody's deal is we'll pay for all of your schooling, whether you've got any school left or you have not gone to college yet. Um, so it, it's a pretty good package. But the thing, the thing that actually may work well for Nebraska here is if a major league team has a feel that guys are not going to sign and they're going to go to school, you only have a 20-round draft. This is not the 40-round draft anymore where you can take flyers on guys. Basically, major league teams are saying, if we only have 20 picks, and, and some may have 22, 24, 25 picks, but we only have 20 rounds, we want to draft guys that we're pretty sure that we're going to be able to sign and get in our system. We don't want to, we don't want to draft the guy hard and then have him say, nope, I'm going to college, and there goes our fifth-round pick. Mm-hmm. That, that's another part that maybe benefits Nebraska with these two guys and the draft and the feeling that one of them Christo is probably going to Nebraska. The other, you know, you're 50, 50, 60, 40. Gary, I want to ask you about Cade Povich because uh, I, I really was expecting him to come back this year, and I guess we, we don't know yet, but is there a round number you're looking at to, that if he goes, you know, ahead of this round, he, he's probably going to be going to the, to the uh, majors, or I should say going pro, or is it just if he goes at all because it's that 20-round draft? Well, I think he's a fifth or seventh-round guy. That's just my personal opinion. And I don't know, he coming back to pitch another year, is his stock going to go up? Um, you know, he, he had a really, really good year. And he showed scouts everything he needs to show. I don't know if he comes back for another year, all of a sudden he develops another pitch. I think it would be to refine some things, but he's still going to be the same number one guy that you had last year. I think he's in the fifth to seventh round area, maybe even to the tenth, and he's gone. But I, I think he'll get drafted. And I think he will elect to sign and start his professional career. And, and Gary, you talked about name, image, and likeness being an advantage for Nebraska here, but is being just in the Big Ten a disadvantage for them? Because we, we know the Big Ten doesn't care all that much about baseball with how they treated this season. Uh, so is Nebraska at a disadvantage just because of their conference and trying to get these guys to stick and stay at Nebraska? I don't think so, Eliza. I mean, that's a fair question. But I don't think so with Nebraska because – it's baseball, and you see the attention and the passion towards baseball at Nebraska, and that's a little bit different. Where you you're you're, you're worried about just your guys in your baseball program with name, image, likeness. You don't care that there are guys in your program that play in the Big Ten, and there's enough people that care about Nebraska baseball, and you know there's enough people to go to games, and there's enough of uh, 
I should say, personalities that are on that roster, that uh, that can be a benefit and not a hindrance. Gary Sharps with us a few minutes here, Hale Varsity Radio Weekend Edition, the Iron Horse. Sharpie, uh, let's go to basketball. Uh, roll for Alonzo Verge from Arizona State. What do you see him doing and fitting? How do you see him shaking into that that Hoiberg rotation? Loved Verge's film. Really slithery to the rim. Nice job of finishing. And he is instant offense. Do you think... Do you think he's a guy that cracks the starting lineup? Do you, do you figure that out, or do you think you you go a little Vinny Johnson with him as a sixth man here? What I mean, you got both options. Well, I think where when he's coming in, maybe off the bench is, is the role that he'll play. Of course, he was a sixth man of the year off yeah. the bench a couple of years ago in the Pac-12. I think it's an interesting pickup. Uh, Nebraska is in no way uh, in a spot where they can turn down talent. And they're always trying to look to upgrade their roster. I think they have a roster right now, before the announcement of Verge the other day, that they like their chemistry. Guys, they kind of have the core come back and they've added some new pieces um, that they're making progress. And, they, they, you know, Fred thinks in year three, you get the sense that he really likes the makeup of his team. Now, back to Verge, there's no doubt he can score. I mean, he has the craziest game against St. Mary's last year where he scores 43 and the rest of his team scores 56. And Verge scored 43 off the bench, and they lost by 40 to St. Mary's. Um, he is instant offense. He has played a lot of games at a high level. Uh, it's going to add to the guards. I mean, they got plenty of guys that can handle the basketball. But the problem goes back again. If you watch Verge, everything you said, Schmitty, about his ability to get to the rim and finish, is he going to be able to shoot the basketball outside? Right. That's the problem with Nebraska. You know, Banton leaves, and one of the hiccups about him is he couldn't shoot. Well, now you add a guy who can't shoot consistently from beyond the arc, so that's a problem. But Nebraska, but Nebraska is definitely going to have guys that can, can hoop it up and score. I mean, they're going to try and outscore a lot of teams. And he's an interesting fit. Now, how does he work into the culture yeah. um, with a guy arriving late who is, you know, one year, wants to get to the NBA? We'll see how that works. But, uh, you know, you can't turn down talent and add a guy that averaged 14 points at Arizona State. I mean, what a, what a nice little boost in the arm in the middle of July. Gary, we've heard from the, the McGowan's Brothers podcast that it's kind of NCAA tournament or bust for this team this year. That, that is really their goal. Uh, and they also want to have some all Big Ten caliber guys on this team. Uh, but I, I want to ask you, what is, what is a realistic expectation or goal for this Fred Hoiberg team in, in year three? Is it NCAA tournament or, or, or where do you think it is? Well, I, I think that's a great goal to have. And you, can, you sense the, the urgency from the head coach. He made changes in the offseason. He addressed what has plagued them the last two years. You know, he removed Teddy Allen scored a lot, but Teddy Allen probably did not help the rest of the team when they weren't playing basketball. And so you remove that. You feel better about your culture, but you said, okay, our guys got to get better in the basketball stuff. So let's go hire an assistant who is good with development. Bingo, did that. I want our guys to be stronger. I want them to be faster. I want to be able to control my strength and conditioning and have a familiarity with my guy that runs that. Boom, he did that. Um, I think the expectation... You know, this is a program that we know what the past history says. I think the realistic expectation for Nebraska, and I would be disappointed. I hope other people are disappointed. You make it to Valentine's Day, and if Nebraska is not like in a in a mock draft or in a mock uh, bracket, like you know, on the outside or anywhere near the middle, I think that's disappointing. Uh, Valentine's Day in Nebraska is not being mentioned like as a bubble team that they're already done. They've got to play games that matter in March. Um, and you never know. I mean, the Big Ten is going to be loaded at the top. Uh, it's going to be stacked in the top five. 
and usually you're getting about seven to eight bids. Can you sneak into that eight spot? Um, I think it's a possibility, but we, we have to wait to see how all of this, uh, all of these pieces uh, fit together. But he has more depth and talent on his roster than he's had in his first two years. Sharpie, uh, 49 days till football. We'll finally get to football. Wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're all geared up for it. I, I want to get your take here with the mini purchase plan that was released earlier in the week. Do you like it? And what three games are you picking if Gary Sharp is in the stands and not the press box? Well, you know, I think they're, they're trying to bring in new fans. And, you know, the, the sellout streak is one of those things that probably needs to end. It just kind of is the elephant in the room. And we know that the sellout streak has been beaten to death now for a few years about, is it real, is it not, how does it work? Well, let's, let's focus on the future of Nebraska football and getting butts in seats. They need to introduce new fans to Nebraska football. You know, it's no longer, hey, take, them for, take for granted that it's just Nebraska football and people show up. So I like the idea. That's kind of where the industry is going. Um, a full-season ticket isn't for everyone. You know, not everybody can make eight football Saturdays. Not everybody can pay the price on the ticket and the donation. So give them options. Give them, give them if you can only come to one game or maybe only three games, give them an option. And I like, uh, I like what they did. It's, you know, people around the country are doing it, even programs that, that usually have no problem selling out their stadiums because they want to introduce their product to new fans to turn them into full-time uh, season ticket holders. Now, the games I would go with, I love night games in Lincoln, so I would go Northwestern, Michigan, and then you got to go Iowa. I don't disagree. I, I was right there, and I mean Purdue's going to Purdue's always been kind of an entertaining or or sad depending on the year game. Uh, the it's been so long since everyone's been um, been at an opener together, right? I mean spring game notwithstanding, uh, the, the the Fordham game would be feel good because. It's the opener. You get to, to get uh, back with your chums in West Stadium. And, oh, yeah, by the way, it's it's a win. We, you know, we hope, right? And so you get to go see a win. Uh, Buffalo doesn't have as much uh, umph for me anymore without Lance there. And, no, th- those are the three I'm going with as well. But I think you nailed it as far as kind of tapping into that different demo, that new demo, Regenerate. Uh, a fan base and make it affordable so the Elijahs or the Schmitz of the world that that you might be able to find a couple hundred bucks to go see three games and you're not getting rocked on a seat license. You can swing by Uncle Nate's tailgate, still do it, and, and, and it works out well. I, I really like this, but um, does it does it kind of feed into that fear to some about the sellout streak? And, and you touched on it. Like, uh, you know, we talked to a couple of national guys this week that – Look, the, the sellout streak is is an incredible testament and statement about the fan base, uh, and that's that's the reality with Nebraska. Well, Nebraska is working on getting better on the field, so it's not an issue anymore, Sharpie. Well, I think the, you know what it's unique, um, and it is a testament to the fans of Nebraska that have supported this program through the highs and the lows, mm-hmm. and they love the program, and it's an investment in the program. The stadium has expanded. Things have changed. People are staying at home a little bit more. The product on the field, you know, you're not getting your return on investment. And it's not just, hey, it's just Nebraska, so I'm going to go no matter what. Now, that's, that's, the demographic has changed. People want something for their money. Um, you know, I, I do this. And, again, I, I think the sellout streak is unique to Nebraska. And if it, if it went away, I don't think I'd be upset. 
if it happens to make it to 376, okay, another sellout. Um, if I do this, uh, I do this experiment with people that get all fired up about the sellout trick, especially when people are like, you know, you have to preserve it, do anything you can. I would say, well, you know what it's at right now. Do you know what the number is? And if I can't answer it, then I just move on to the next piece of conversation. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. people at home, it's at 375, which is ridiculous to have 375 consecutive sellouts. But remember, Notre Dame had a streak where their sellout streak came to an end. And I got another one for you. Michigan this year may have another streak in the, in the capacity it comes to an end. They, may, they are worried in Ann Arbor that they may have a football game where they don't have 100,000 in the big house. Jeez. That's... So it's, you know what? It's an industry thing hmm. in college football where people are trying to figure out if our product is not top-notch on the field, how do we start the people in the stand and that they don't stay at home and have a better seat to watch the football game? Sharpie, awesome chat today, brother. Thanks for giving us the time. Uh, well wishes to you and your, your friends up in Omaha. We'll see you a little bit later today. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. There he is, the uh, Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Elijah's saying, you've had enough time, old man, on your Saturday morning. We'll be back at you Monday on a hail... Oh. We go another 30 seconds here. Okay, well, you're, you're telling me, like, you're telling me I keep Sorry, traveling. I, I should have hit you at the stretch, not the... No, the middle finger and, <laughs> and the, the, the throat slit is what you... You want to get me to shut up? You flip me off and you just... You give me the old Colombian necktie, okay? Well, I thought I'd give you some time to end the show on a good note here. Well, I was like, Elijah, is there a fire in the studio? Like, hurry up, hurry up, I gotta go to the can. Four o'clock, Monday. Take care. Have a great weekend. Back at you Monday on Hale Varsity.